So one thing when we when we have these discussions about women and work mm-hmm. and also looking at things like like how do we even understand what counts as a working woman? Yeah. What counts as paid work and unpaid work? Because it's all undefined. I mean, like I've been, I've said the words unpaid work for so frequently for the first time in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, so one of the things is like, one, how do we look at the numbers that we have? And how do we know that those numbers are accurate? And where and when do those numbers come from? So, so there's a few things when we look at how this data is gathered that are problematic. And so to help us sort of navigate and understand some of these issues. Hey, what is work? What does it mean? Uh, are you at work right now? Shut up, everybody. <laughs> There's burning questions. Um, is, uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Ashwini Deshpande at Ashoka University. Ooh, uh, Dr. Ashwini Deshpande is an economist and a professor uh, at Ashoka and uh, she has worked extensively on the economics of discrimination and affirmative action with a focus on caste and gender in India. Aditi, you had a really interesting question for Dr. Deshpande. Uh, we were going over your Twitter timeline, not stalking you at all. <laughs> and uh, we came across one of your tweets where you were talking about taking your six-year-old into the audience for a conference. Was this conference about your six-year-old? No. What was she doing there? <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I wish she hadn't been there with me, but there was... <laughs> You know, uh, she was six years old and I was a single mother at that time. And so I had to take her with me and there was was no childcare near the conference. She was too small for me to leave her in the hotel room. So I said, okay, you can come with me and I will be presenting. You can sit in the audience, but you cannot call out to me or you cannot leave the room or you cannot ask me a question. And my mortal, even though I'd given her lunch and everything, my mortal fear was that she'll say, potty in the (laughs) middle of my... Uh, a presentation. Listen, we could do with more conferences where someone calls out the potty that's being spoken on stage. We could do with a lot of those conferences. But hats off to my uh, sweet daughter that she sat through it. Most boring, excruciating conference. Uh, sweetly, pay- because she was told that it's important for mum to be presenting this. And so the sweet thing, she sat there and listened to me and uh, did her drawing or whatever she was doing. Uh, and that was it. But I was th- that's I, I've never been so as tense for a conference as I was then because <laughs> I was really scared of what's going to happen. So I had to really focus on what I was presenting. <gasps> yeah, I hope that uh, I hope that uh, very soon we have lots of conferences where lots of kids are able to sit and watch their mothers present on stage. Well, we should have conferences where mothers can. If they need to take their kids, there should be childcare. Yeah. There should be a little creche or a nursery where kids can play yeah. while the mothers are uh, presenting. I bet watching you do that, um, I hope it has left a mark on your daughter somewhere. And uh, I hope so. And I think, I think even there's research to show that children of working mothers, when they see their mothers in control, taking mm. decisions, being uh, respected uh, uh, and valued, I think it has a very positive impact on children. So I'm hoping uh, that uh, something of that has, you know, has left a positive impact on her. One thing I'm kind of interested in talking with you about is the work you've done at looking at why women are dropping out of the workforce. Mm. Um, 
a lot of times there people say cultural norms. Mm. It's cultural norms, cultural mm. norms, cultural norms. That's why women aren't working. Can you explain to me what a cultural norm? What do economists usually mean when they say cultural norms, and how do you interpret cultural norms? So I hope we have two days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the recording will go into go on for two days because I have enough, uh, uh, you know, more than that to say about it. But let me try to be as brief as I possibly can. So. Dr. Dashpande, we never want you to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we use this term or this measurement called labor force participation rates, right? LFPRs. So usually, when we are talking about people working, men or women, uh, we say labor force participation. What is it? It's basically you look at all individuals who are in the working age group, say 15 to 59, or you fix the years. So these are people who could be working if they wanted to work. So you take the number of people who are in that age group and uh, you take the number of people who are either actually working or looking for jobs, you add those up, that is your, your what they call numerator top and at the bottom you divide that by the total number of people. right? And that will that ratio will give you the labor force participation rate. Hmm. Okay? Now, when Sounds like neat math. <laughs> no, it is just a ratio. It just divided by 5 or whatever yeah. it is, right? something like that. And ov obviously now it has gone down to about 20% uh, almost. So yeah. it is 1 in mm. uh, every 5 women that now we uh, always assume that that is a result of the woman's unwillingness to work. So if you are seeing the, uh, the numerator of this ratio, the top uh, part of this ratio as falling which it is no doubt. Yeah, correct. It is always seen as a reflection of the fact that women either decided not to work, hmm. uh, well basically that. But the first point that I want to make is that a declining labor force participation rate does not always mean that women are dropping out because they do not want to work. It could be, it could mean that women are not either working or are registering themselves as unemployed because they feel that the probability of their getting a job commensurate with their constraints yeah. and with their educational levels yeah. is very low. Mm. So you might as well just not even try to look for work. That is the first thing you remember. The second thing is that the, uh, when we say work, yeah. right, it, for men we typically think of it as a man is working when he leaves the house, he goes somewhere, does whatever he does, gets a man, gets payment and comes, comes back home. Hmm. That's that, yeah. that that we would that person would be called a working man. And if none of these things happen, then we call that man not working. Yeah. For women, it's not just a binary thing. It's not so straightforward. Women can be paid or unpaid and they could be working in in the home or outside the home and this is not counting domestic work. This is counting economic work. So I'll give you an example. Supposing uh, a woman's uh, husband uh, makes good and sells it in the heart for living. Okay, that's their occupation. That's their family occupation. Or the a woman's family has a kirana store. Correct. Right. That yeah. is the family's occupation. Now, when the man is working on the kirana store, he is counted as a working person. Right. That's mm. because that's his job. Yeah. That's what he does. Even if it's his own kirana store, when he goes out and works on the kirana store, or he makes good and sells and sits in the heart and sells the good. That is that's how he's earning his living, right? So that's that's counted as work. But when the woman is actually making the good in the house, which is eventually going to go to the sale, which is eventually going to go for sale, she will not be classified as a working woman because a her work is inside the home and b she considers it a part of her household duties. Now the way uh, uh, the work 
is surveyed like all these labor force participation rates so what happens is an uh, enumerator will go to somebody's house and will ask you are you working yes or no a man will be able to easily say whether he is working or not and he'll give that answer a woman will either say yes or no highly likely that she'll say no if her work is unpaid which it often is and or it is related to the family enterprise hmm. literally either inside the home or even if it is outside even if it she's walking all the way to the khet to the farm or to the kirana shop or something else or going with her husband to the hut to sell the basket that she made or good that she made or whatever it was she the workplace is outside the home but because she is working on a family enterprise she will not be classified as a worker because she never said to the enumerator that i i'm a worker mm-hmm. and because she doesn't get paid yeah she yeah. doesn't think of herself as a worker, as a worker sure right i have a, i have an interjection question yes yes is there a way that we can if we know that it's there's this gray zone of all of you know of how to count women is there any way to still understand how it's falling yes so one is uh, for uh, so one is you can if you are sensitive to the gray zone you yeah. can count those women by asking other questions and that is something that i've also demonstrated we did a survey in west bengal yeah. of seven districts and we have shown a way about where where you can make small changes to the existing questions yeah. uh, that the government asks and you can make through small changes you can actually pick up this gray zone workers And right? then did you find was it still falling? We show that the level is higher than what the government says. But the fall is real. Right? Not from not from my West Bengal work. Yeah. But I we know that the fall is real because you know we the, I have all these charts and tables which I can show you later. But the fall is real. Yeah. My question is is the fall ari- the interpretation of the fall is that women are not working because they don't want, want to work to. Yeah. or they are yeah. afraid of sexual violence mm. or they don't want to be stigmatized or whatever. I am saying women are not getting registered as workers because there aren't enough jobs available that are commensurate with their education levels yeah. one thing second thing now we come to the domestic work part which is that people talk about conservative social attitudes in india and you know almost like a saudi arabia where you know you need a guardian to even step out of the house etc so that's a sort of uh, in the in the western press somehow that's the kind of image that gets displayed and i think nothing could be further from the truth india has many problems and i would be the first to say them but it is not true to believe that women are dropping out because there's such a fear of this patriarchal backlash and that they they will step out of the house and they'll get stabbed or raped or you know <laughs> uh, uh you know beaten black and blue by husbands and community leaders and etc uh, uh, etc et that entire sort of you know horror story that gets developed around this thing of you know sexual violence etc i think it's first um misleading uh because sexual violence is very real but i think to juxtapose that the violence in the context of the falling labor force participation rate is extremely misleading because if that was the reason why would you have a fall in rural women's participation because the bulk of the increase in violence stories that we hear a lot of those are in urban but you know it's I mean, low it's, it's low but it hasn't fallen ha ni but it's also a question of like i mean we, the ones we hear about are the ones that we hear about because they're uh, sort of blown up to the proportions that they are right yeah. uh because i mean the sexual violence in rural areas is still very rampant yeah, yeah of course it is rampant but has it increased to the po- you know i don't see evidence that suggests that 
it has increased in the last 20 years in rural mm -hmm. India to explain the rural women's dropping out of the labor force. Yeah. But what I do see is job creation in rural India is a problem that's affecting men too. Men are leaving villages and going to the cities because there isn't enough work available in mm. the in the rural areas. Mm. And to my mind, that seems to be a much more plausible explanation of why women, why you see this decline, which is not because women don't want to work, mm. but because there isn't enough work available. And and it's a discouraged worker thing, you know. If even we get discouraged sometimes. I'm supposing yeah. I'm looking for a job and I just know there's the labor market is really tight i'm not going to get work i'll after some time i may even stop looking Jean, and how much does uh, and how much does this decline then in labor force tie into um the larger picture of the decline in availability of jobs in general that that know? is it that is what i'm saying that it is i my argument is that the decline that you're seeing is a reflection of the decline in the availability of jobs rather than a reflection of women mm. being oppressed by um, you know this sort of mm. uh, deeply patriarchal because you know to be honest there's patriarchy everywhere yeah tell me one country or one region in the world that doesn't have patriarchy mm. right. show me one country or one region in the world where there is no sexual violence now uh, if fear of sexual violence was the issue for declining labor force party you'll have to show that india is way way ahead in terms of that compared to any of these countries because is it then the case that everywhere in the world female labor force participation rates are falling i don't think so no in fact right? in, in countries like bangladesh they've gone up from like 3% yeah. to 26% 36% uh, 36% yeah. right and so when you talk about uh, sexual violence or cultural norms or patriarchy mm. you know it's easy to say oh in india there's patriarchy you know of course there is we will be the first to say it yeah. but which country doesn't have patriarchy yeah. right and mm -hmm. so when we think of patriarchy or sexual violence or any of these things as reasons for low decline in labor force party we have to be very very careful about the evidence so i think the social norm i mean you know there are different social norms first of all i have to say uh, that the word social norm somehow only gets used in developing countries as if yeah. developed countries don't have social norms mm -hmm. social yeah. norms are how society works how people react with each other so every country has social norms i want to say that on camera <laughs> because it's like oh, so india true. has social norms you know <laughs> yeah. wait what everybody US? has social norms yeah. you know i was at this conference in patna over the weekend and uh, uh the representative of the dfid which is the U uk funding agency he made this startling uh, gave us this figure that one in every three british women report at some point in their lives to have experienced domestic violence okay now will we ever say that this is the social norm in the uk we will never mm. say that we will never say that because we think of it as a wrong thing of course yeah. but it's always an individual problem that women have to deal with or maybe somebody might say it's patriarchy or whatever but we will never say oh the social norm in the uk is by the way yeah. domestic violence domestic violence right but in india supposing this kind of figure were to be given yeah. whatever the equivalent mm. of this figure is i'm sure there's an equivalent immediately it will become oh the social norm in india is sexual violence against women right but the real social norm that by the way is different in countries like india and pakistan vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world is this view that domestic work which means cooking cooking cleaning the house washing clothes taking care of the children uh, arranging for meals taking care of the elderly you know in-laws yeah. mm -hmm. parents yeah, 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 yeah. all of those things these are primarily the women's responsibility this is a social norm that is unique to south asia 
and there are studies you know OECD has some data, ILO has some data about the number of hours that men and women spend in these kinds of activities and guess who tops that list? <laughs> the two cousins <laughs> India and Pakistan. Of course. And so if women are quote unquote dropping out of the workforce, mm. it is not because they do not want to work or it is not because society is actively preventing them from working in a way that you think of as Saudi Arabia. Yes, society is preventing them by not ensuring that all these factors are available yeah. and because of the social norm that first you finish all your work or you go and you come back and you finish all the work. You take care of your children, you cook for us, you clean our homes, you take care of your in-laws, take them to the doctor when they need to do, uh, you know give them medicine, put your kids to bed, do help them with their homework. After doing all this, you want to work? Okay, maybe. Go crazy. You know, if we are stuck in social norms equals patriarchal mindset equals sexual violence, then this conversation is not going to start. We have to say social norms equals uh, domestic chores being the woman's responsibility. That's the social norm that needs to change. What about academia as a profession? Can you tell us a bit about that in terms of how is it as a workplace as a woman? Um, so, I guess for me, it's always been great because I think that it uh, academia allows, um, you know, because it, schools and colleges have vacations. <laughs> so I I love a job which has vacations, and you don't get as many vacations anywhere as you do in, do in academia. So that's that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's always seen as a sort of more woman friendly job, the teaching job, yeah. teaching yeah, profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you start to combine teaching and research, then the story gets a little more complicated. Murky. So and murky. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah. for example, you know, uh, in the West, there's been a lot of work being done on this, which is student evaluations. You know, so in the in uh, in Amer uh, American universities and in, in Europe as well, students have to evaluate their professors, and there is a huge implicit gender bias in the way that they evaluate their professors, really? and they are not even aware of it. It's not that they are doing it deliberately. Women tend to uh, systematically get rated lower on competence, knowledge, brightness uh, scores. Systematically tend to be rated more as she is very strict and she is very bossy and etc. And the same uh, action gets described in a positive way for a man. So, a man is seen as decisive, mm. you know, authoritative and he, you know, he is very good because he lays down the rules. Whereas a woman is bossy, she is a B I X X, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that uh, you know, and if you are uh, strict and lay down rules about no, this is not allowed or whatever, you know, uh, women are uh, seen are expected to be more nurturing and caring. And even if you are nurturing and caring, it's not never good enough. So not all Indian universities uh, have mm. this thing of student evaluations, but the way students react or the kinds of requests they would make to a female faculty yeah. relative to a male uh, yeah. uh, you know um, to a ma male faculty like and that happens circle. even um, um, mama so you tuck me in <laughs> mama you tuck me in would be yeah it's very close <laughs> to that um, i'll give you i mean yesterday i uh, i was teach uh, you know i taught undergraduate statistics um, at ashoka and yesterday was my exam my final yeah. exam for my students and i was invigilating and i was getting called by a student saying professor this professor that whatever and then one girl called me she said professor you know and she was you know, i said relax relax what happened so she said you know i've done three steps could you just quickly take a look right now and tell me whether this is uh, correct i said you are in an exam 
She said, no, no, no. I just want to make sure. Is there a mistake? Is if this is this step a mistake? I said, I can't leave. That's See, cheating. I can't. And I said, remember, this is an exam. I'm. This is what you're supposed to. <laughs> please, professor. Please. And there, in fact, he, me and another male professor, we were both invigilating, and he half the class was his and half the, which was mine. And I was getting asked like, uh, you've said there were four thousand two hundred fifty students in addition. So do I have to add one or not? I said that's the exam. That's the question. You have to figure it out. Yeah, Ashoka me gaye bache ke. But he never got these questions, you know. The questions that were asked of him were very, and he's younger than me, you know. But it and nobody was telling them. Nobody said, you know, sh- please ask her these questions yeah. and not him. It is just a natural boundary, you know. It's just a boundary that you draw about how you approach women versus how you approach men. Yeah. And this uh, in the US, in fact, now there's a lot of academic work. um uh in, including a fantastic phd thesis out, that came out mm. of harvard which actually brought this phenomenon to sort of center stage yeah. in academia yeah. so there is uh, so there are all kinds of biases that you see in academia now you know and twitter is actually yeah. very good about that so one is student evaluations mm. the other is uh, being interrupted in seminars that's all of us and in meetings and in meetings and if a suggestion that a woman might have made getting dismissed and the same exact suggestion that a man makes <laughs> yeah 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 is, oh, genius. Oh, genius genius yeah that's the worst and so academia unfortunately is not free of any of these things that you see everywhere else in the workplace the first part is to recognize that there is a problem and i think in amongst the middle class, and this is now a separate set of problems not really the rural women low labor force participation but for those of us who are working mm. you know who uh, middle class women who are articulate who are educated we i think a lot of the spaces where we work in uh, many of them the conversation hasn't even started you know and we don't want to sometimes start it because we don't want to appear like that person who's constantly making life difficult for everyone else you know yeah. and I have always been branded as that person, you know, <laughs> <laughs> who's constantly raising all these issues. These well-behaved women seldom make history. So, yeah, ah, exactly. Uh, but uh, the good news about Ashoka is that aware- awareness around these issues and the receptivity around these issues is very high, and so there's always a conversation going on. I think that we need to just keep talking about it as much as we can, wherever we can, and once there's a critical mass, you know, it's always easy to dismiss one woman, yeah. but it's very hard mm. to dismiss a group of women. who are all saying the same thing or are in very much in agreement Women in Labor is made by Christina McGilvery, Laura Quinn, Aditi Mittal, Manya Sachdeva, Sonakshi Chowdhury, Nandita Gupta, Sonali Thakkar, Eepti Patnaik, Rose Higgins, Porva Jassy, Regina Hawkins, Kashish Sethi, and Priyanka Verma. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated are those of women in labor and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. For more information on the podcast, visit womeninlabor.com or search Women in Labor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.